if you can make your way to your seats, we're going to get started and open up your Bibles this morning to Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 32. Deuteronomy 32 is our passage of scripture this morning. Excellent. And uh, Brian, if I can get a little bit more in my monitor, uh, that'd be great. Deuteronomy chapter 32 uh, is our passage of scripture this morning. I want to thank um, just a few people this morning as you're opening up your Bibles to Deuteronomy 32. I want to, uh, I want to thank uh, Doug and I want to thank Esther and Tracy for uh, leading the men's and women's Bible studies respectively um, over this last fall. So grateful for the men's Bible study just completed and the women's Bible study just completed and all the men and women who participated in that. What a joy to be together. I know I was very blessed being a part of the men's Bible study as the other guys were. Deuteronomy chapter 32, I want to wish you all a Merry Christmas. So let us read God's word together. Deuteronomy chapter 32. Actually, the context is so well set up in uh, in 31, beginning in verse 16. Let's let's read there. We'll set up the Song of Moses. Well, let's read 16 uh, from Deuteronomy 31. And the Lord said to Moses, Behold, you are about to lie down with your fathers. Then this people will rise and who are after the far, foreign gods among them in the land that they are entering, and they will forsake me and break my covenant that I have made with them. Then my anger will be kindled against them in that day. And I will forsake them and hide my face from them and they will be devoured and many evils and troubles will come upon them so that they will say in that day, have not these evils come upon us because our God is not among us. And I will surely hide my face in that day because of all the evil that they have done because they have turned to other gods. Now, therefore, write this song and teach it to the people of Israel. Put it in their mouths that this song may be a witness for me against the people of Israel. For when I have brought them into the land flowing with milk and honey, which I swore to give to their fathers, and they have eaten and are full and and grown fat, they will turn to other gods and serve them and despise me and break my covenant. And when many evils and troubles have come upon them, this song shall confront them as a witness, for it will live unforgotten in the mouths of their offspring. For I know what they are inclined to do even today before I have brought them into the land that I swore to give. So Moses wrote this song the same day and taught it to the people of Israel. Let's look at chapter 32, beginning in verse 1. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. May my teaching drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass and like showers upon the herb. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord. Ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect. For all his ways are justice. A God of faithfulness and without iniquity. Just and upright is he. They have dealt corruptly with him. They are no longer his children because they are blemished. They are a crooked and twisted generation. Do you thus repay the Lord, you foolish and senseless people? Is not he your father who created you, who 
made you and established you? Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he will show you. Your elders and they will tell you. When the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the numbers of the sons of God. But the Lord's portion is his people. Jacob, his allotted heritage. He found him in a desert land and in the howling waste of the wilderness. He encircled him. He cared for him. He kept him as the apple of his eye. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young. Spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided him. No foreign god was with him. He made him ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field, and he suckled him with honey out of the rock and oil out of the flinty rock, curds from the herd and milk from the flock with fat of lambs, rams of Bashan and goats with the very finest of the wheat. And he drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You grew fat, stout, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him and scoffed at the rock of his salvation. They stirred him to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had not dreaded. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you, and you forgot the God who gave you birth. The Lord saw it and spurned them because of the provocation of his sons and his daughters. And he said, I will hide my face from them. I will see what their end will be, for they are a perverse generation, children in whom is no faithfulness. They have made me jealous with what is no God. They have provoked me to anger with their idols. So I will make them jealous with those who are no people. I will provoke them to anger with a foolish nation. For a fire is kindled by my anger, and it burns to the depths of Sheol, devours the earth in its increase, and sets on fire the foundations of the mountains. And I will heap disasters upon them, and I will spend my arrows on them. They shall be wasted with hunger and devoured by plague and poisonous pestilence. And I will send the teeth of beasts against them with the venom of things that crawl in the dust. Outdoors the sword shall be reeve and indoors terror for young man and woman alike, the nursing child with the, with the man of gray hairs. I would have said, I will cut them to pieces. I will wipe them from human memory. Had I not feared provocation by the enemy, lest their adversary should misunderstand, lest they should say, our hand is triumphant. It was not the Lord who did all this. For they are a nation void of counsel, and there is no understanding in them. If they were wise, they would understand this. They would discern their latter end. How could one have chased a thousand and two put ten thousand to flight unless their rock had sold them and the Lord had given them up? For their rock is not as our rock. Our enemies are by themselves. For their vine comes from the vine of Sodom and from the fields of Gomorrah. Their grapes are grapes of poison. Their clusters are bitter. Their wine is the poison of serpents and the cruel venom of asps. Is not this laid up in store with me, sealed up in my treasuries? Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip. For the day of their calamity is at hand and their doom comes swiftly. For the Lord will vindicate His people and have compassion on His servants. 
when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free, then he will say, where are their gods? The rock in which they took refuge, who ate the fat of their sacrifices and drank the wine of their drink offering. Let them rise up and help you. Let them be your protection. See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God besides me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. And there is none that can deliver out of my hand. For I lift up my hand to heaven and swear as I live forever. If I sharpen my flashing sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and will repay those who hate me. I will make my arrows drunk with blood and my sword shall devour flesh with the blood of the slain and the captives from the long-haired heads of the enemy. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods. For he avenges the blood of his children. He takes vengeance on his adversaries. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. Moses came and recited all the words of this song in the hearing of the people. He and Joshua, the son of Nun. And when Moses had finished speaking all these words to all Israel, he said to them, take to heart all the words by which I am warning you today, that you may command them to your children that they may be careful to do all the words of this law. For it is no empty word for you, but your very life. And by this word, you shall live long in the land that you are going over the Jordan to possess. That very day, the Lord spoke to Moses, go up this mountain of the Abram, Mount Nebo, which is the land of Moab, opposite Jericho, and view the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the people of Israel for a possession. And die on the mountain which you go up, and be gathered to your people, as Aaron, your brother, died in Mount Hor and was gathered to his people, because you broke faith with me in the midst of the people of Israel at the waters of Meribah Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin, and because you did not treat me as holy in the midst of the people of Israel. For you shall see the land before you, but you shall not go there into the land that I am giving to the people of Israel. The context of this passage in this song, it's about 1406 B.C., It's right at the end of the 40 years of wilderness wandering of the Israelites. And they're just on the verge of going into the promised land. And this song of Moses acts as a witness for God against Israel. And it's written in the form of a song. And before I pray for the message, I just want to encourage um, all of the artists, the songwriters, the, the poets that we have in our church that, This ought to inspire you to write and to create because one of the beautiful things about art and one of the beautiful things about this Song of Moses is that it had the power to be sung from generation to generation. They did not forget the words of this song, the people of Israel, and they sung it down through the generations. And so these things had the power to live on and be remembered. And if you use your art and your gifts for the glory of God, it'll be something to be remembered that you create about God, and God will be glorified in that. Let's pray together. Lord, I thank you so much for this opportunity to preach your word. The Song of Moses has tremendous relevance for us here today, as we likewise are in the wilderness on the verge of the promised land. And so, Almighty God, would you please, as you instructed the people of Israel to stay faithful to you and to turn to you in repentance and in faith, would you instruct us and 
inspire our hearts with the character of who you are today. God, I pray we would get to know who you are more deeply and we would be moved, God, with how awesome you are, how great you are, because your greatness none can fathom. And Lord, help us marvel that you would have sent your son to die on the cross for sinners. Help us to marvel and trust in him even more. I ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Um, Deuteronomy 29.29, it's a great verse that we actually looked at last week in the sermon, um, actually says, um, it's, it's a powerful verse to actually even memorize and can really serve you lifelong just as you're living life here in this fallen world. Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 29.29 says that the secret things belong to the Lord our God. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we, we may do all the words of this law. The things revealed are the Scriptures. God has revealed Himself to us through the Scriptures, and we are to cling to the Scriptures, to cling to God and the knowledge of God that we learn about Him in the Scriptures, and through songs like the Song of Moses here, Deuteronomy 32. So let us cling to the Word so that we might obey the Word and follow Jesus. As John referenced this morning at the ministry, Mike, if we love Jesus, we will obey his commandments. What an excellent word and reminder. Deuteronomy 29.29 also reminds us that there's secret things that belong to the Lord our God. Things that are beyond fathoming out. Who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been his counselor? The Lord, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so high are his thoughts above our thoughts. There are many things in our lives that are perplexing. And beyond tracing out and figuring out, our job is to humbly trust the Lord and worship Him in the mystery of the things that don't make sense to us in our lives. The secret things belong to the Lord. And I think it brings great glory to God, and many of you are doing this even right now, coming into the house of God and worshiping the Lord, singing to Him and praising Jesus, even though there's mysteries going on in your life that are beyond fathoming out, you're saying to God, I trust you with the secret things, because they belong to you, Lord. And I don't need to know it all, because I know you know it all, and I trust in you. That's so glorious, church. And uh, I want to highlight that, because it picks up again in this song, that theme of God's mysterious, sovereign will, the secret things that belong to the Lord, and we'll, we'll see that in just a moment. I got three points uh, this morning from the sermon. Uh, the first one is Great Rock. Secondly tender father, and then the third point is just avenger. So great rock, tender father, and just avenger. Let's look at the first point, great rock. That comes when you look at verses 1 through 3. Give ear, O heavens, and I will speak, and let the earth hear the words of my mouth. Moses is calling forth a great proclamation here. May my teaching drop as the rain. And, and another translation here, or a way to translate this rightly, is let my doctrine drop. I love that phrase, let it drop, let it drop as the rain, my speech distill as the dew, like gentle rain upon the tender grass, like showers upon the earth. In other words, Moses is burdened, God is burdened, that the instruction from the word would come down upon us like a gentle rain that would, would soak down deep into our hearts and soften our hearts so that we would follow the Lord. Look at what Moses uh, proclaims here in verse 3, I love this. For I will proclaim the name of the Lord, Yahweh, 
ascribe greatness to our God. This uh, word for uh, greatness in in the uh, Hebrew, it's a word that's not used often in the Old Testament. This word for greatness is used numerous times in Deuteronomy, and it's used in Psalm 150, verse 2 as well. But this word uh, for greatness in the Hebrew is godel, and it means magnitude. There is a magnitude. God registers in magnitude, in greatness, in bigness. And so when we say that God is big, that's what Moses is getting at here. There's a greatness to him. There's a size. There's an immensity. There's a magnitude to God that is just awesome. And he carries on here in verse 4, and it ties into our point, great rock, because he says in verse 4, the rock, his work is perfect. I was looking at the uh, New American Standard Translation, which is also a really good translation. We have the ESV we're reading out of today. But the NAS just says, the rock, exclamation point. I love that. The rock, exclamation point. His work is perfect. I love that. His work is perfect. And that's where it maps on to Deuteronomy 29.29, that the secret things belong to the Lord. Um, there are secret things that are mysteries to us and God's sovereign will beyond tracing out. Um, God is awesome. He is good. He is infinitely wise in all that he ordains for our lives. And we can trust him. He is the God who sent his own son down to die on the cross for our sins. And we can trust him because he is the rock. And I love the way this phrase says it. His work is perfect. His work is perfect. I want to just encourage you by way of practical application in your life right now. I don't know all the details of how things are playing out for your life right now, but I do know this, beloved. His work is perfect in your life. His work is perfect in our church family. His work is perfect in how He governs the affairs of our nation and how He governs the affairs of the entire world. And of the entire universe. Because God is great. The rock. And his work is perfect. It's meant to bolster our confidence that we can trust his absolute sovereign goodness and his infinite wisdom. Do you trust him this morning? Can you entrust your life and the details of your life that are difficult this morning? into the wisdom of your sovereign God who loved you so much that he sent his son down to die for you. Whenever you're tempted to doubt God's goodness or his wisdom or his intention towards you that he's for you, remember the cross. And remember that he sent his own son to die that you might have life. And let it cause faith to well up in your heart to bring peace to you in the midst of the darkness in this fallen world that you experience. This, this phrase for rock, it's, it's actually the first time this word is actually used in the Scriptures. And, and, and it kind of harkens to me, this image, I, one of the things I love is I love those images of real beautiful lighthouses. I love like pictures of lighthouses. I don't know if you track with me on this, but Sometimes you'll see a picture of a lighthouse in a storm and it's out either on a jetty or it's just surrounded by rock. And you see waves crashing in to those rocks. The 
the, the image here of God being the rock is one of protection as waves crash and it's a safeguard. It's meant to speak to that with God there's security. With God there's safety and refuge that you can run to unlike anywhere else you could run to. It's actually interesting throughout this whole entire uh, Song of Moses, God as the capital R rock is contrasted with who the nations put their trust in and who Israel committed idolatry with, false rocks, small r. A lot of times you see it with capital G God and small g gods. Here you see it with capital R rock and small r rocks. Things that are false refuges that people trust in and run to to find security and and look to for hope. We as God's people aren't meant to look to false rocks with a small r, but to turn to God as our rock and to look and believe when the Lord is ascribing greatness to the name of the Lord here in Psalm uh, Deuteronomy 32 that say, Lord, you are my rock and your ways are perfect. So looking to God and, and recognizing He is the rock. It speaks to His character. It speaks that His deeds are perfect. And this is contrasted with the people of Israel. It, it speaks to um, the character of God that He's always faithful. God is the ultimate semper fi, always faithful, the Marine Corps motto. God's people are often not faithful. And, and you see the character of God of being always faithful contrasted with the people of Israel who are not faithful to God throughout this song. And it's very sobering to see how far their lack of faithfulness led them and, and what God did and how hard life became for the people of Israel before He brought them back in faithfulness. And that's something that is really spoken to here often. God is our rock, and God is a God of faithfulness, verse 4. Without iniquity, He's just and upright. Contrasted in verse 5 with God's people, they have dealt corruptly with Him. They have dealt corruptly with Him. And it actually talks about they are a crooked and twisted generation. This picks up on the Scriptures in the New Testament in Philippians chapter 2, verse 15 and verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or disputing that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ I may be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. So you see that language picked up here that we're meant to shine as lights in this world and not be in the world as part of the crooked and twisted generation. We as God's people are called to be in the world, but not of the world. We are to be distinct. We are to shine as the world is perverse and crooked. But here, God's people turn crooked and God deals with them as such. It actually says that as 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 they were looking at the Lord, it says that they scoffed, verse 15. Look at verse 15. But Jeshurun, it's, it's ironic here, this Jeshurun phrase describing the people of Israel is actually a word that means upright Israel. They're upright. It's actually used here with some irony that instead of upright, they used 
the prosperity that God gave them in the promised land to grow fat and that they kicked and they forsook God in their prosperity that God gave them. And they scoffed at the rock. Rather than take refuge in him, they scoffed at him. And it's so sobering, brothers and sisters, to see that. Look at verse 18. You'll see again that the rock theme's picked up, but it's it's very sad. You were unmindful of the rock that bore you. And you forgot the God who gave you birth, the spiritual amnesia that was mentioned at the ministry mic. This, we, are, we, as God's people, can often be unmindful of God. And the people of Israel were unmindful even though the great rock was ever mindful of them. Aren't you so thankful that though we often are not mindful of God in our sin, God is ever mindful of us as our rock. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4 picks up on this and gives us a sighting of Christ. It says, for they drank from the spiritual rock Israel did that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Bread from heaven. They ate spiritual food. Bread from heaven, which symbolized Jesus Christ. The bread of life. Living water flowed from the rock. And Jesus offers living water to the woman at the well. In John chapter 4, it all comes from Christ. He is sustaining His people in the wilderness. He has sustained them for 40 years. And instead of worshiping Him, they scoff at the rock, turn their back on the rock. But brothers and sisters, even though we've been unfaithful, can't we testify, hasn't God sustained us in the wilderness? Just as He has sustained the people of Israel. Ponder this for a moment and be encouraged. In all your ups and downs in mind, Hasn't he been the rock? Hasn't his ways been perfect? In our instabilities, hasn't God been so stable? In our franticness and in our fretting, hasn't God been our security? He's protected you. He's kept your feet from slipping. He's taken care of every need. Christ, your rock. It actually says that Christ is the rock that followed them in the wilderness. So this is a rock that doesn't just stay in one place. It's a rock that is like a mobile rock. He follows his people around and stays strong for them even when they're weak. Picking up on the theme of Christ being our rock again. 1 Peter chapter 2 says, As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. That's talking about us, church. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture. Behold, this is the Lord speaking, I am laying in Zion a stone, or a rock, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in Him, whoever believes in Christ, will not be put to shame. Verse 7. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, 
the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Psalm chapter 18 picks up on this theme of God being rock when David says in verse 31, for who is God but the Lord? And who is a rock except our God? And then later on in verse 46, listen to this. The Lord lives and blessed be my rock and exalted be the God of my salvation. Amen, church? The God who gave me vengeance and subdued peoples under me, David says, who rescued me from my enemies. We can all testify to that. Yes, you exalted me above those who rose against me. You delivered me from the man of violence. And there's no greater man of violence or creature of violence than Satan himself, who with him and all of his demons have unleashed war against us, seeking to devour us and destroy us, to sift us all in this room as wheat, like he did ask the Lord to sift Peter. But Jesus prays for us. He intercedes for us. And He is our rock. He is conjure up the image in your head of the Battle of Five Armies and Tolkien's movie and book. Like the dwarves safely protected behind the walls of the lonely mountain, unable to get touched and hurt. Though many armies come against them. God is your rock. He's your refuge. He's your strength. He's your fortress, your mighty deliverer. This is who he is by way of his very character. And I love how David in Psalm chapter 18 says, Exalted be the God of my salvation. God is my rock. I love how Deuteronomy 32 says, The rock. And then it says later on in Psalm 18, God is our rock. But I love how David personalizes it and says, God is my rock. Can you testify that he is your rock this morning? Have you personalized that truth into your own soul? Have you said and can you say this morning, because you've repented of your sins and trusted in Jesus, blessed be my rock. I want to appeal to you to fall onto the rock named Jesus Christ in faith this morning. Trust in Him and lay hold of Him. Build your life on Him because scoffing at Him with a rebellious life, living unmindful of Christ, rejecting Christ means, as Peter reminds us, that He will fall on you at the judgment. So fall on Him today in repentance and in faith because if we will not repent, and believe in the rock, Jesus Christ, and His death on the cross for our sins, the sobering warning of 1 Peter remains that that rock will fall on you. And friend, we do not want the rock to fall on us. It is better to fall on the rock and lay hold of Christ this morning in repentance and in faith while there's still time. Because the rock, His work, is perfect. It's so amazing that the strong, great rock, Jesus Christ, became a baby. Became a baby. 
so that he could die to forgive our scoffing at the rock, our rebellion against the rock, our unmindfulness of the rock. God in love sent the great rock to come as a a little infant child in order that He might save those who believe. What an awesome God. Amen. I love Him so much. You're going to love this point too. I love this, this, this truth. The character of God and the name of God. Tender Father is point two. Tender Father. Verse 4 said, He's the rock. His work is perfect. And then it talks about the rebellion of God's people all the way up to verse 6a. Look at 6b. Is not He your Father who created you? Now, the word Father describing God hasn't been used until this moment. And so, it's glorious that the theme of fathers picked up and the name of fathers picked up all the way through the Bible. But here, it's referenced in the Song of Moses for the first time. Is not He your Father who created you? Who made you and established you? Uh, this, this tender Father theme picks up as you look at verse 7. You're going to see just the special love that our Heavenly Father has for His people. And I want you to zero in on it, church, because there's so much practical application that we can just immediately apply as we read the word together. Moses, and the, the, imagine the people of Israel singing this song. Remember the days of old. Consider the years of many generations. Ask your father and he'll show you, your elders, and he'll tell you when the Most High gave to the nations their inheritance, when he divided mankind, he fixed the borders of the peoples according to the number of the sons of God. This is a really interesting uh, verse here in verse 8, that God fixed the borders of the peoples. This is talking about all the nations, that God has regard and care for all the nations, and he did it according to the number of the sons of God. This reference to sons of God, uh, some liken it to, there's descriptions throughout the Bible, one of those in Daniel chapter 10, that there are actually angelic beings that are given and delegated authority and power to keep watch over different nations of the earth, like in relation to Persia. And there's beings that, that, that are, are involved there. And so here, the image here is that here, according to angels and the sons of God, there are those who are given delegated power to care for the nations. But it says here in verse 9, in contrast to that, with God's special love for His treasured possession, Deuteronomy 7, His chosen people, it says in verse 9, but the Lord's portion is His people. Jacob, His allotted heritage. The Lord's portion. In other words, God Himself cares for Israel. That doesn't get delegated to an angel. You remember back in Exodus uh, 32 through 34 that the Lord says, listen, you're so rebellious. I can't even go with you personally anymore. I'm going to send an angel to go before you. And that angel will drive out the nations out of the promised land. Because if I go with you, I'll destroy you. And Moses says, listen, Lord, if you yourself don't go with us, don't send us up from here. And God's saying here in verse 9, my special love 
It's with my people, Israel, with my church, those who have trusted in Jesus Christ, the promised one. The Lord's portion is his people. Jacob is his allotted heritage. In other words here, brothers and sisters, there is, and please listen carefully, a special love, a special regard that God has got for his chosen people that is different from the love which is real and the care that is real that he has for all the nations who are unbelieving. God has special regard for you. Special love. And feast on that. Let that, drink that into your soul and be encouraged this morning. Don't struggle with it in any way. Just as you wouldn't struggle with a parent who loves all kids. But man, they love their own child with a special love. We would never begrudge a father, an earthly father, for loving his own children more than the other kids of the world. It's a special love. That's the kind of love that it's meant to conjure up in our hearts when we talk about God as our Father and we are His children. It's special. And it's meant to bring the light into your heart for His special regard. He doesn't delegate that to an angel or some other servant. God Himself watches over Israel in the wilderness. And God himself, beloved brothers and sisters in Christ, watches over you. You know, I was thinking about this as I was meditating on it. I was just kind of, uh, I was sitting up in my room and just kind of meditating on this truth. Listen, God loves everybody on your block. There's something about your house address. Special. Special. He knows. And he's ever mindful. He's got special regard and special love for your house on the block and all those within it. Doesn't take away from the fact that he also cares for the whole world and loves the whole world, that he sent his own son to die. Jesus coming in the incarnation means joy to the whole world. The love that we're meant to feast on, brothers and sisters, as His children. When we read verse 9, it should land on us. We are the Lord's portion. We are His allotted heritage. And let us be encouraged by that. Look at uh, how it just goes on. It just goes on and on. Verse 10, he found him in a desert land. It's talking about us in our lost state before we were set apart and chosen and called to him. In the howling waste of the wilderness, does that not describe you and me in our sin before we knew Christ? And look at the language here. I love this, Heavenly Father. He encircled him. i got to be careful because I'm going to melt down into tears. I'm going to be like the tin man. I'm going to get all rusted up up here. He encircled him. Has not God encircled you, beloved? Has God not had mercy on you the way He hemmed you in to bring you to Himself? Aren't you moved that, yes, He loves everybody on the earth, but He has had a special regard for you. He encircled you. And He cared for Him. He cared for Israel. 
and he kept him as the apple of his eye. There again, that phrase, it's, it's meant to cause us to remember that God's got a special love for his people, Israel, that is distinct. He's got a special love for his people, the church, that is distinct and special. Israel is ever in the eye of the Lord. That's what this is meant. The apple of the eye is. He's ever in the eye of the Lord. You, believer, are ever in the eye of the Lord. And you are ever the object of His constant and tenderest care as Father. That's apple of the eye. Apple of the eye is, He sees you and His eyes light up. And I wonder how many of you Think about God like that. Because you know what? If you're like me, you've got many areas of struggle with sin still that you struggle with every day. Wonder sometimes, does God really love me still? You're the apple of His eye. You're the object of His special care. His special love. And look at verse 11. Like an eagle that stirs up its nest, that flutters over its young, spreading out its wings, catching them, bearing them on its pinions. The Lord alone guided them. No foreign god was with him. He made them ride on the high places of the land, and he ate the produce of the field. This image of the eagle in the nest. I, I, I don't know if we had the image of it. I, I, yeah, there's, there's an eagle looking over and spreading its wings over its young. You don't come near that nest, and you don't get, you don't get near that nest without getting hurt bad. It's protection. It's meant to show us that our God is spreading His wings of protection over us. That's picked up also in in the book of Exodus. It's a repeated theme. And He catches His people and He bears them. He guides them. He flutters over His young. He provides food for them. Watches over them and protects them. And He makes them ride on high places. Has God not made you ride on high places? Brothers and sisters. He provided for them honey out of the rock, oil out of the flinty rock, verse 13. All of this from his fatherly care. Verse 14, the rams of Bashan, that's meant to conjure up. You may remember I was showing you how they fought the battles in the north over on the east side of the Jordan River last week when I showed the map. Bashan is to the north. I don't know. Do we have the map? We can pull it up real quick. I don't have a laser. Sorry today. You know, I have to break the laser out again tomorrow. But um, up on the upper right-hand side, you see all the way up the top right, it says Bashan. It was one of the most flourishing parts of that land. And when Moses and the people of Israel conquered Og, the king of Bashan, they captured all of the rams and the goats of that prosperous area as well. And even as Moses was writing this song, the rams of Bashan were nourishing the people of Israel with the very finest of wheat, and he drank foaming wine made from the blood of the grape. God has protected his people. He has provided for his people. He is a tender, tender father. How many of you guys, have you guys heard the song, the new song by Chris Tomlin, You're a Good, Good Father? Has anybody heard that? Like, lift your hand if you heard that song. I, I was thinking of that song and I could not get it out of my head. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. 
It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. I think we have enough people we can try it out. <laughs> so I'll start us out and join in and, and, and we can pick up. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Uh, I could just keep singing that with you. I was singing it, and I was just crying my eyes out, <laughs> thinking about, has he not been a tender father to his church? Has he not been a tender father to you, child of God? The Lord himself watches over Israel. He doesn't delegate it out to a servant. He doesn't delegate it out to an angel. He personally looks out for you. And certainly angels also watch over us, but it is not in substitute to our God caring for us. The special love that he has regard for in you, in your home. With all that love, Israel forsook God, made him jealous, greatly displeased their father, And had it not been for God's passion for his own glory, that he didn't want the nations to be able to take credit for it, it says later on in the song that God would have wiped them out. Remember, Moses interceded for him once before. And that was the very argument Moses used. God, if if you if you wipe out your people and start over with me, the nations are going to say, look, he brought them out of Egypt just to destroy them in the wilderness, and, and that'll be bad. And the nations will have that against you. And God relented in His grace and His mercy. This is how badly His people provoke Him. How much they displease Him. It's important to note that though we cannot fall out of God's saving grace or out of God's perfect standing that He's given us in our justification by grace alone through faith in Christ alone, our sin that we still struggle with, it's important to note this, it displeases Him. We can displease God with our sin. We do displease God when we sin. We also, on the upside, can greatly please God as our Father when we obey Him. So when we sin, we don't lose our perfect standing and grace that we have in Christ, thank God. But we are meant to be motivated as His true children to say, Father, You've been so good to me. There's going to be no other gods. It's just you and you alone. And I'm worshiping you. The people of Israel didn't act like God's children. It's important to note here, it's very strong language when it talks about that they actually, that the language is very, very strong in relation to God hiding his face from his children. And there's other instances here where he says that they actually become blemishes and, and they're no longer his children. There's an image description there of that if we call ourselves children of God and we don't live it and we don't act like it and we have no interest in obeying God, our Father, we like all the grace and the salvation, but we want to live our lives our own way and just live in sin. The Bible's very clear in First John chapter 3, verse 7. Little children, let no one deceive you. 
Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God makes a practice of sinning. That's a great phrase to memorize. Makes a practice of it. All of us still struggle with remaining indwelling sin as true believers, if you're a believer in Christ here. But no true believer makes a practice of sin. They don't live in sin any longer. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he's been born of God. By this, it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. That's important. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God. That's what Deuteronomy 32 here is picking up in the song. And it's meant to remind us that not all Israel is Israel, Scripture says. A Jew is not a Jew who is a Jew outwardly. Like we looked at last week, you need to have the heart transformation that comes through repentance and in faith trusting in Jesus Christ, and have the new heart. And only then will we not make a practice of sinning. And it says, whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. No, brothers and sisters, how great the love of God that we would be called the children of God. The people of Israel would not relent in their stubbornness And instead, it says in the song that God brought disasters and terrors and exile and suffering to make them come to their senses. And when their power is all gone, the song says, God says, then I'll have compassion on them and vindicate them and bring them back and avenge their blood. So God does not ever give up on his people. He's faithful and he keeps his people and holds them fast and never lets them go. But we are meant to examine ourselves, the scriptures say in 2 Corinthians 13.5, to see if we are in the faith. We're not meant to ever presume on grace and just say, oh yeah, Jesus died for me, I can live however I want. We're meant to look and say, no, Jesus died for me, and I have a tender father, and I've got a wonderful great rock, who is the rock of my salvation. He gave everything for me, I want to give everything for him. That's meant to be the heart of a true believer. Israel didn't do that, and life got very hard for Israel. And we're going to look at that as we go through the rest of the New Testament. It's really a story of Deuteronomy 32 playing out, and we'll see God's faithfulness, but we're also going to see many instances where God's people were not faithful, and God acted. He sent them into exile. He Life became very hard for them, all in order to, as it came from the ministry mic this morning, like the prodigal son, to help the prodigal come to his senses and turn back to the Lord, and then the Lord had compassion on them. Uh, He's a good, good father. He's a tender father. The third and final point uh, this morning is just avenger. Um, God's people are attacked by the nations. God's people are persecuted by the nations. And we learn at the end of this song, God says strong language in verse 43. Look at that verse with me. Rejoice with him, O heavens. Bow down to him, all gods. For he avenges the blood of his children and takes vengeance on his adversaries. And then look at this phrase where it ends. 
because this stretches all the way to the end of your Bible. He repays those who hate him and cleanses his people's land. He doesn't just cleanse the promised land when God's people go in and, and cleanse it of the Canaanites. That's a small picture of what the judgment is really going to be like on the final day of judgment. Second Peter 3, let's read. But by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It's, it's, it's interesting, but this language of, of fire coming and God's anger burning as hot fire is seen here in Deuteronomy 32, and it's picked up on all the way at the end. On the day of judgment, God is going to come, and he's going to come not with water the next time. He's going to come with fire. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, verse 11, what sort of people ought you to be? in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. First <clears throat> Corinthians 13, speaking of the good news for us, for now we see in a mirror dimly, But then face to face, now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I've been fully known. And Matthew 13, verse 40 says, Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so will it be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. But look at the happy, happy ending for us, brothers and sisters in Christ. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. He who has ears, let him hear. If I can have the worship band return, I just want to uh, listen carefully to this because this is really important. We're talking a lot about Advent because we're in the season of Advent right now. And one of the songs we love to sing in Advent is Joy to the World. And I've been thinking a lot about this in relation to Deuteronomy 32 and the Song of Moses. The first Advent, you sing Joy to the World. But as Barry and Sherry did such a great job uh, leading us when we first had our opening week in Advent, Advent isn't just about us remembering Christ's first coming, but also to remember Christ is also going to come again, as Alex led us in worship earlier. Jesus will come back again. Jesus is coming back again, his second Advent, and that's what we're awaiting right now. We're on the verge of the promised land, waiting to cross over the Jordan, to enter into the new heavens and new earth where righteousness dwells. When the second advent comes and Christ comes again, brothers and sisters, the Bible is very clear that 
it's not going to be joy to the whole world at the second advent. It's going to be joy to the Christians. It's going to be terror to the unbelievers. The Song of Moses has wonderful images of the character of God that comfort the soul of God's people. God is our rock. God is our tender father. But we also need to remember that he is a just avenger. And when Christ comes back and the last trumpet sounds, the only thing that's going to matter to you in that moment is whether you're in Christ or not. By repentance and in faith. For those who reject Christ, it will not be joy. But it will only be a fearful expectation of eternal judgment as the Scriptures talk about in the fires of hell. And friends, it's important to remember that that's real. It should scare us. It should cause us to tremble when we're pondering, sinning. It should lead us right now, for all of us, to repent of our sin. But it should also, for us, cause us to look to Christ and remember that when that last trumpet sounds, for those of us who are in Christ, by grace, it is going to be joy. Eternal joy. That will never, ever cease, ever again. And it's so glorious that in the Old Testament, in Deuteronomy 32, not just the first advent, but the second advent are touched on. And we see God in His glorious character shining for all to see. Brothers and sisters, let us stand and sing and give praise to our God who is the great rock, who is the tender father, and is also the just avenger. And let's praise Him for who He is and for all that He's done. Lord, we ask that You would cause our hearts to take great comfort in You as Your people this morning. Help us to turn to You in repentance and in faith. Help us to forsake our sins and not forsake You. Almighty God, thank You so much for Your patience with us. Thank You, Lord God, that You are so compassionate that though You discipline Your people and chastise Your people, You do not utterly forsake Your own. But Lord, we feel the rod and we feel Your hand heavy upon us to lead us back to You. And we want to thank You for how many times You've done that in our lives where You've brought us back to You safe and have shown us compassion again and again when we were stubborn and hard-hearted. From this point forward, Almighty God, would you give us grace as your people to follow you with all of our hearts? Would you give us grace to listen to the song of Moses and to do everything in our hearts to say, Oh, Lord, you are my rock. You are my refuge. You are my good, good father. And I am going to follow you. Almighty God, we trust in you. And we trust in your son, the rock, Jesus Christ, whom you sent to save us from our sins. Thank you for sending him to become a baby so that all those in this room who trust in him will not be put to shame, but only have the eternal joy of heaven to look forward to. We love you. As we close in worship, receive our worship and praise and be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Love you, church.
Amen. Oh, what a God, huh? Well, let's pray. Oh, Lord, we realize and we recognize as your portion that you are our rock, that you are our safety, that you are our refuge, that you are our strength, that you are our security, and that you are our hope. We're not perfect. But you are. Many times we're not faithful. But you are. And many times we're not stable. In our emotions. In our lifestyles. But you are stable. And you are our stability. And we are thankful. We're thankful, God, that while we were still sinners, you, for some reason, encircled us, hemmed us in, drew us to yourself, and saved us, adopted us. And that, God, you look upon your people With a special kind of love. And with tenderness. And we are so grateful. And we. Are so excited. That Jesus is coming back again. (laughs) And we. Expect with joy that his return will be soon. But in the meantime, Lord, you have given us a command, and that is to go forth. To proclaim Jesus Christ. And so, God, as we leave this place this morning, will you enable us by your spirit to go And gladly proclaim that Jesus Christ is Lord. That he came as a little baby boy and grew in wisdom and stature. Truly God and truly man. And he laid his life down on a cross to reconcile us to you. May we proclaim that to a lost and dead world, to our neighbors, to our families, to our co-workers, that they may see and hear that only through Christ can they be saved from the wrath of the Father. We love you, Lord. And we are so very thankful that on the day of judgment, we have nothing to fear if we're Christians. But you will say, well done, good and faithful servant. And we'll lay our crowns at your feet because we don't deserve them anyway. 
you gave us the strength to do good things. And we just love you so much. Our faithful and good, good father. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Go and tell someone about Jesus this week.